0: Today's reading is from Galatians five twenty-two to 25. Hear the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. Uh, It is great to see you all this morning. My name is Tyler and I'm one of the pastors here and I am so glad uh, that you made church a priority this morning. This is not in the script. Uh, but you know, we celebrate family moments every so often here in church. And I just want y'all to know if you don't know them or not, but it's David McKinney's 25th birthday for the 10th time. Uh, so forever young, uh, but we're absolutely delighted that you are at church, especially David on your birthday. Uh, I hope this is a fun celebration. If you guys know David, uh, absolutely delightful. If you don't, you should, you should meet him before he goes, but they're, uh, yeah. So anyway, happy birthday, David. Uh, absolutely love you. Um, but more broader than that, we're so glad you're here, and we are back in our series in Galatians. We've been there for the past five weeks. I'm um, in a series that we've titled No Other, and we've been looking at a letter that Paul wrote to a church meeting in the first century in Galatia. And so as we've studied this letter, paragraph by paragraph kind of breaking down Paul's argument, seeing what it is that he was writing to the church that was gathered there, Uh, we've seen again and again that Paul is interested in proving one main point. Um, And the point was this. This is where we started our series. Whenever you add to the gospel, you actually take away from it. Whenever you add to the gospel, you actually take away from it. Whenever you add extra rules or extra requirements to what Jesus taught, you're not making things better. uh, You're actually making things worse. And so Paul had to say this to the church in Galatia, and he had to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it uh, because the church in Galatia had a big problem. They kept adding things to the gospel that they'd received. They took this good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus had done and what that meant. And they added extra rules and regulations on top of that. And so they started suggesting that trusting Jesus is the only person able to redeem life and bring new life. They said, no, that's not enough. You have to do more. And so Paul wrote this letter to say, stop that. And he said, you got to cut that out. Uh, Stop, stop. And so this is what we've heard for the past five weeks in our study of Galatians. Does this sound familiar? Right. This sounds familiar. Where we've been, Paul's been saying, stop, stop, stop. This is a summary of what we've learned in Galatians thus far. But this morning, as we continue in our study of this text, we're going to follow Paul and follow Paul's letter as it turns in a slightly different direction. I think today we're going to move with Paul from primarily intellectual argumentation, right? So we've had a pretty, had to do a lot of thinking in this series. We're going to move from intellectual argumentation primarily to flesh and blood reality, uh, today we're going to see that Paul isn't just interested in seeing people's minds change, he's interested in seeing people's lives change. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I want you to imagine that up until this point, our study of Galatians, it's been a whole lot like a tree. Maybe think of the letter of Galatians as a tree. And I'd argue that up until now, in chapters 1 through 4, uh, Paul's been ensuring that the intellectual roots of that tree are healthy. So he's wanted to make sure that the foundational thinking that people have about life with faith, about spiritual matters, he's, he's gone after the roots, primarily intellectual, and he's wanted to sh- ensure that those roots are healthy. Uh, but today we're going to move with Paul from roots to fruit. We're going to move from the invis- invisible structures that support faith Uh, to the visible product of our faith. And we're going to listen as Paul describes what life in Christ, what life empowered by the Spirit looks like day-to-day, tangibly lived out. And I think we're going to hear Paul argue that Christ's in us should result in new behavior. I think we're going to see the way that he outlines the ways that faith in Christ should make us look different from those without faith. And most significantly, I think we're going to hear Paul talk about how this kind of new life, life that's yielded to the Spirit and life that produces the fruit of the Spirit, I think we're going to hear him say how that kind of life can take root in us. And so we've got a whole lot to cover this morning. I absolutely love this text. And so I'm ready to go. And if you are too, would you join me in Galatians 5? Uh, Sherry just read there from us Galatians 5. We're going to start in verse 16, and that's on page 975 of our Community Bibles. So Galatians 5:16. there Paul writes this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other. So, Paul, he tells the Galatians there are two ways of living, and he titles one of these ways of living life by the spirit, and the other way of living life by the flesh. He says there's these two ways of living, and that they are totally opposed. So, kind of like water and oil or uh, Ali and Fraser, clearly I try to use a sports reference, I can't remember. Ali and Fraser, like Biggie and Tupac, right? They are opposed. They're different. They don't mix. Uh, they are at odds with each other. Paul says there are two ways of living, and then he starts to describe them. And he says this in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh, uh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like thee, Paul says, hey, this way of living that I've called the way of the flesh, right, this way of living, uh, it's obvious. You know it when you see it, the acts are, it's evident, it's characterized by self-indulgence and self-importance and self-assertion, it leads people to objectify others. To have conflict with others, to talk about others, or to mean people when they're not around, to live recklessly and irresponsibly. Paul says, Hey, I've listed some examples, but you know this life by the flesh, uh, it's obvious. You know it. You've seen it. It's when people get wrapped up in that kind of life that they lose sight of the good for others. These patterns of behavior, Paul says, they emerge because there's something in all of us that gravitates towards selfishness and self-satisfaction. And Paul says when that path is traveled, when people go down that path unrestrained, uh, one finds themselves governed merely by the selfish impulses that we all have. Paul said that is life by the flesh and the works of the flesh. He says they're obvious, Andy goes on, he says, those lead to death. I, I warn you, as I warn you before, Paul writes, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, they're not gonna experience the kind of full and eternal life that Jesus invites us to join here now and forever. Paul says, that's not what's gonna happen. They're gonna die spiritually and physically. That's where this road leads, Paul says, this selfish, self-satisfying road. He says, that's where it leads. But, he asserts, There is another way of living. It's called life by the Spirit. And he says this produces like totally different outcomes, totally different results in people's lives. And so he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against these things, Paul says there is no law. This other way of living, Paul says, uh, that's diametrically opposed to life by the flesh. He says, You also know it when you see it, and no one will write a law against it because everyone knows that it's noble and beautiful. It's characterized by self surrender and self sacrifice. And self-control, it's putting we or you before me. It's putting your good above my gain. Paul says this other kind of life, you know it when you see it. It's evident as well. And it has totally different outcomes. It yields totally different results. Paul says there's two ways of living life by the flesh and life by the spirit. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and their desires. Those who place their faith in Christ, Paul argues, are no longer trapped into leading the kind of life that's characterized by the flesh, that's characterized by all those self-satisfying things. He says, no, 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 Uh, they're freed by the Spirit to lead a life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And Paul says, you'll know it when you see it. It will stand out as markably different. And that's the first point that Paul's making in this morning's text, church. He's saying there are two ways of living, and they are distinct, life by the flesh and life by the Spirit, and they do not mix. They are polar opposites. They are as opposite as opposite gets. Now, if you're anything like me or anything like Paul's initial audience... I imagine you might be hearing this and saying, okay, Paul, sure, 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 I know, I know. I mean, duh, there are good patterns of behavior and there are bad patterns of behavior. And and most of the time, look, I desire to do the good things. I want to embrace and embody these good patterns and habits. But yeah, how I actually live, probably more than I'd like to admit, I would say that my habits and my behavior more closely resembles that bad behavior list, right? I can see that the good things are good things, Paul. I get that. I'm with you. I recognize that they're good, and when I'm in my right mind, I can see that the bad things are bad things. I understand that they're not taking me where I want to go, Uh, that that over a lifetime, they're going to bring me more heartache than joy, and so, sure, Paul, like, I'm, I'm looking to change. I'm trying to be different. I'm trying to be a better kind of person. I'd like to be the kind of person characterized by that good list and not that bad list. Sure, Paul, but look, I was kind of hoping that these rules that we've been adding to this gospel would be what helps get me there. I was kind of hoping that the rules that we've been adding into this message that you preached, that that was gonna be what helped me change. I wondered if embracing these ancient traditions and customs might be the trick, right? Or that following, or at least trying to follow as hard as I could in my own power, trying to follow these ancient laws might actually be what makes me better. But Paul, you're saying that those laws don't work that way. So, So what now? You know, i just am I just stuck? Is there any hope for me to be different? I mean, that's how I feel sometimes when I read these comparison lists, church. Are you with me? I mean, I can read these lists and these kinds of lists that we have here in Galatians 5, Paul presents them throughout his letters. They're not unique here. He's pretty known for making these two lists contrasting life with the Spirit versus life of the flesh. They're throughout all his letters, and I can read them in a variety of letters and think, well, sure. Sure, I want the better list, Paul, that's that's obvious, but but how do I get there? What do I do now? You know, can change happen? How do I experience transformation that allows me to, to resemble that righteous list more than that unrighteous list? And I would argue that Paul anticipates this kind of question. Paul is no fool. He's a good spiritual leader. He knows where people's minds are headed. He knows where his first century readers were thinking. And I imagine that by the Spirit's power, you can imagine we're in the same spot, right? How do we change? How do we change? He knew we'd be asking this question. And so Paul writes in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So Paul's setting up a new kind of argument here. He said, if you're in Christ, you've crucified the flesh and its desires. You're not under the law. So instead, you're led by the Spirit. And if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So Paul's saying, hey, don't try to think that by putting yourself under the law and under its restrictions and trying to work out in your own power all that the law requires, he says, don't think that that's going to be what brings about change. He said, remember, that's what didn't bring about change in Israel. They, they got trapped in the same cycles. They tried, but they weren't changing. Paul says, don't think that just by trying to gut your way through the law, you're going to experience change. That's not how it works. Um, he said, you're not going to adhere your way towards change. You're not going to willpower your way towards change. Rather, Paul insists, if you're truly in Christ... If you've placed your faith in him, if you're trusting Jesus as the only one able to redeem life or create new life, uh, that means you've killed the flesh in you, and now instead you are led by the Spirit. And if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And his point is this, you're not going to get where you want to go by following the law. You'll get there by following the Spirit. You see, here Paul's trying to outline a new way for change to happen, and he said, you've tried to get there, and people have tried forever to get there by following things in their own power and gutting it out. He said, that's not going to be how you get to the righteousness that even the law declares as good, the righteousness you want. You're not going to get there by gutting it out in willpower. You're going to get there by following the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to remake and renew you. But how does this happen, Paul? Paul? How are we formed by the Spirit into new kinds of people? How do we become folks whose lives are visibly different, right? visibly different, and how do we suggest that that happens by some kind of power of an invisible spirit that we can't see? You've got you to help us here, Paul. And Paul says, well, maybe this will help. I want you to imagine that you're like you know, a plant. Or a vine or like a a, a bush or something he's like imagine that you're this plant and think about all the good things that you desire to see in your life as fruit in fact paul says think of these virtuous righteous christ-like attributes love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control he says think of these as as fruit Uh, they're they're actually paul says they're the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit and he says this way of thinking about things this this metaphor this description of how the spirit produces righteousness in us he says this is going to help you make sense of how change can actually occur all right so fruit of the spirit We've already done a whole lot of thinking to get to the point. This is the main point of this morning's text. So uh, at this point, I don't know if your minds are tired. My mind's there. I haven't done many funny stories yet. There's been no videos. So we thought today in the middle of the sermon, we do something different. We're going to take just a little break. So I've got some helpers out here for Fruit of the Spirit. So, church, I don't know if you know this, but we recently switched to providing fruit snacks uh, for our kids when we have children's ministry because they're the most hypoallergenic, gluten-free snack out there. So, if you guys want to pass around some fruit snacks, we're just having a little mental break here uh, in the middle of service, right? I got three of these to do, so we are just halfway through service one. (laughs) So, I know I could use a little bit of fruit here. Um, Yeah, I could grab it. Thanks, Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. I carry this in my warm pocket. So a little snack coming around, um, a bunch of fruit snacks. Our kids love these when they get hungry. We tell them it helps them think better when they're out back. So maybe this will help you think better. So i But a few um, little fruit snacks. And have you got your packet yet? Are you opening them up? I don't know about you. I absolutely love the orange ones. Uh, that was my favorite fruit snack. I'm going to go in there. Any favorite flavors out there? Any others? All right, that's okay. You don't have to love it. I think these are delicious. Uh, <laughs> orange is my favorite. Grape and kind of the blueberry is next, and the rest are disposable. Um, <laughs> but fruit snacks, right, delicious, best snack. Kids are eating these up. These are all the hit now. We, we are swimming in them at the downtown campus. I actually think that these fruit snacks, in a way, can help us understand a little bit better what Paul is saying when he's saying that we should think about what the Spirit produces in our lives is fruit, Right? It's really delicious. I got a strawberry right there. If you're really delicious, tasty fruit. And so to help us understand what Paul is trying to teach us this morning through Scripture, let's start by asking the question, hey, what do we know about fruit? Right? What do we know about fruit? Well, there's a few things that I observe Thinking about fruit this week, I'm going to use a fruit of self-control. I'll come back to that later. What do we know about fruit? Well, first we know that fruit starts small. Fruit starts small. Small, doesn't it? It doesn't just emerge as fruit. It's not fully formed fruit when it begins. An orange just doesn't pop out. You know, it, it grows over time. Fruit starts small. It starts as a seed. It starts with a sprout and it's it's fragile in those early days. Uh, it could be trampled down in the early days. I know some people put things around their gardens, right, to protect their tomatoes, which are a fruit, right? So it, it's small, it's fragile, it, it's a seed in those early days. Fruit starts small. It's one observation. Uh, my second observation about fruit. Fruit doesn't grow itself. Uh, fruit is, is grown. Uh, it, it needs care. It needs water. It needs nutrients up from the soil. It, it, it receives nutrients from its roots, depending on the kind of fruit. It's you know it's connected to the vine, and these nutrients come up and help the fruit grow. But fruit is is grown. It doesn't grow itself, it doesn't make itself grown. It needs to be fertilized by other bugs that fly around or get proper water, have adequate sunlight. Fruit grows with care and support, but it doesn't grow itself, right? So it starts small, it doesn't grow itself. And then finally, fruit, it, it ripens eventually. Uh, not immediately, right? Not, not instantly, but eventually after the growing season is over, uh, after an extended period of development, after much water, watering and fertilizing, fruit ripens eventually. It, it eventually takes on its mature form. And it should be noted that this mature form, this is like the last thing that happens in the lifespan of fruit. Much of fruit's life is spent maturing into fruit. You know, an orange, if you will, that you're eating has spent the majority of its time growing into that orange and then probably in our case being frozen and shipped wherever we are, right? Uh, But it spent much of its time growing into the orange and a little bit of time being that mature orange. So fruit, it starts small right? It ripens eventually. It doesn't grow itself. It's grown. And we know these things about fruit. And Paul knew these things about fruit. And Paul's first century agrarian audience certainly knew these things about fruit. so I think when Paul's talking about fruit of the Spirit, Paul's trying to say, hey, quit trying to perfect yourself through strict willpower, gutted out adherence to the law. Um, instead... Think about the righteous qualities you'd like to see in your life. Think about the righteous good vision that you see presented in the law. Think about that goodness that you're going after. Think about that as growing in you much like fruit grows. Think of these good qualities that God wants to grow in your life. Think of them as fruit. You know fruit. Fruit that starts small, uh, that doesn't grow itself, that ripens eventually. Fruit. You know, Think of the virtues you long to possess, the righteousness that you'd love to see in your life. Think of it as fruit. And Paul says specifically, this is another point, so fruit, he says, Paul says, think of these righteous, visible attributes of Christian living, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, think of these attributes not just as multiple pieces of fruit, but as, as one fruit, right? As one fruit, not as little, many fruits that are produced separately, But instead of one kind of fruit platter or comprehensive fruit, he said, think of it as one fruit. Now, how do we know this? Uh, Well, Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Galatians, intentionally used the singular form of fruit when writing uh, in Greek to the church in Galatia. And he wanted to indicate, I think, that this fruit that's produced by the Spirit is one kind of comprehensive product for life in the Spirit. So this word that Paul used It was called karpos, and that's the single form of fruit. So much like we distinguish words between singular and plural by their endings, right? So we have child or children, uh, woman, one woman, or woman, many women. The ending of the word was determining the number. And Paul was specific. He didn't use karpoi, which would have been many fruits. He said, hey, I'm talking about one fruit with multiple attributes, but one fruit that the Spirit will produce in those who know Jesus, So Paul says we shouldn't think of the Spirit as like offering us, you know, little fruit snacks along the way or various flavors of righteousness along the way. He said, think of the Spirit as doing one comprehensive work and producing one fruit, one total portrait of righteousness within the lives of those who follow Jesus. Now, why is this important? I think this matters because many Jesus followers, whether they would say it or not, uh, probably when they hear these lists of the attributes of fruit of the spirit or what righteousness looks like, uh, within their hearts might desire to lean into two or three of the nine visible attributes that are presented and to say, hey, those are mine. God's like really wired me to be patient, you know, or God has told me I am supposed to be so kind, uh, but, you know, kind of love or self-control, those aren't really my fruits. I'm not feeling led toward those fruits, I would say that there are many Christians um, in Paul's time and ours that like to pick or choose individual attributes of righteousness that they'd like to work on while neglecting the total picture of what God presents as, hey, this is good, this is whole, it's this total picture that brings human flourishing. And so Paul, he's leaning into what his people know about fruit so they know that it it starts small, it grows over time, that it eventually ripens, and he specifically said, and hey, I want you to imagine all these qualities as one fruit. Not many little fruits that you're picking up, but one fruit in all its complexity and totality that God's trying to grow in you. Paul says the Spirit's going to produce one fruit in you. It's a total portrait and picture of righteousness, one comprehensive total fruit. And all these nine attributes, Paul says, they're going to grow side by side. So maybe to use our fruit snacks again, uh, Paul's not saying it's going to be one bite by one bite. He says the Spirit's going to mature you into a total package over the course of your life, right? So the Spirit, it's not interested, or the Holy Spirit, He's not interested in working on one or two individual little pieces of righteousness. He's interested in transforming us in our totality into new kinds of people. Paul says the Holy Spirit wants to form you into the kind of person who is characterized by every single one of these attributes on this list, all functioning side by side. And this is good news, church. In fact, I think this is great news because I can't tell you how many people I've come across who who want to change who want to see their lives as different who recognize that there's some bad habits of the flesh that need to be killed in their lives who see that hey I'm not as loving as I'd like to be or kind as I know I should be or as patient as I'd like to be and as I know God's designed me to be right they want to be people who look like Jesus but they're afraid that they never will be This morning, Paul disagrees and he says, hey, if you will submit to the Spirit's leading, if you will follow where the Spirit takes you, trust me, the Spirit will produce in your life one total fruit of righteousness over time. And church, that is exciting news. That is great news. I think the reason it's such good news is because it's the Spirit that's responsible for the transformation. Because think of it this way, I know sometimes uh, folks can get really, I don't know, you can feel under the weight of things that they said. So for example, if, if love is a fruit of the Spirit where you need to grow, it would be true if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Jesus wants you to be loving. Jesus wants you to be loving. We know that's true. We've got John 13, 35, where Jesus says, hey, by this, uh, they'll know that my disciples, that you have love for one another. And so someone comes up to you and says, hey, Jesus wants you to be loving. They're giving you very true news. It's true. Jesus longs for you to be loving, wants you to be loving, says that his true disciples will be loving. That's true news. But if someone comes along and says, hey, but the Spirit grows you to be loving, I would argue that that's even better news because the Spirit of God is all-powerful, and unlike us, the Spirit of God will accomplish what He sets out to do. The Spirit of God is perfect. The Spirit of God is a master teacher. If, so, if someone comes up to you and says, Jesus wants you to be loving, they're right, they're giving you true news. But if someone says, the Spirit grows you to be loving, I would argue that's even better news because if God wills it if God wants it it will happen and Paul is trying to tell the church in Galatia and I think this morning by extension Paul's trying to tell our church in Kansas City that there's better news out there for those who are interested in change that the gospel of Jesus isn't about bucking up your willpower and having even more kind of diligent, I'm going to grit it out, I'm going to make it happen, faith and spirituality. He says, no, 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 it's better. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf and the coming of the Holy Spirit and the fact that now the flesh has been crucified in you and you can live life by the Spirit, he says, because of that, change is possible, and it's even better than you imagined. The Spirit will produce this fruit in you over a lifetime. Paul is saying those who have placed their faith in Christ can be sure that over time they will yield righteousness in their lives. They will become the total package that looks like Jesus with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Why? Because it's the Spirit's work. And sure, it might start small And it might feel vulnerable in the early days, and it might take a while, but it will ripen eventually, Paul says, because fruit, it it doesn't grow itself, it's grown. And this fruit in you, this fruit of righteousness, Paul says, it will be grown by the Spirit. Church, how encouraging is that? That is much better news. Paul's telling us this morning that it is possible to change and it's possible to grow in righteousness, and the Spirit's the one that makes it happen. Christ's likeness is available. That is outstanding news. Now, I hope it's been made clear this morning that the Spirit grows this fruit in us, um, that righteousness is not something we can produce in ourselves by trying even harder and exercising even more willpower as a muscle uh, to try to make change happen. I, I hope that that's kind of come up, uh, across that it's not like adherence to the law, our own strict adherence that's going to make us righteous, but it's the Spirit's work. I hope that's come across. But it should also be acknowledged that there are postures we can embrace, uh, there are habits we can adopt, there are prayers we can get used to praying that will make us more open to the Spirit's work. And where am I getting that from? You say, show me some Bible, Tyler. Well, this morning, uh, in this morning's text, Paul says it two places, both in verse 16 and then verse 25. He uses this image of, of walking with the Spirit. We're walking by the Spirit. I think it's verse 16 where he says, walk by the Spirit as a command. And then in verse 25, he uses this image of as you're in step with the Spirit. But regardless, it's this image of walking, right, of walking with the Spirit. And I, and I love this image. I love that Paul says we need to walk um, and not run because running makes you tired. And I love that Paul says uh, we need to walk with the Spirit and not crawl because crawling will never get you anywhere. So I love this image of walk. But Paul says we need to walk With the Spirit, if we want to see the Spirit do this work of producing righteousness in us, we should walk with the Spirit. We should be led by the Spirit. And so, in the moments that we have left together this morning, I'd love to suggest just two words that can help us understand what it looks like to walk with the Spirit. So, again, it's the Spirit that produces righteousness in us. It's not going to be by our strict adherence to law, trying to will our way into it. That won't work. It didn't work for Israel. Paul said that's not how it's going to happen but we still have the opportunity to walk with the Spirit. So how does that happen? What are words that can help us think about what it means to walk with the Spirit? I'd like to suggest just two words, and here they are. Uh, those words are help and yes. So help and yes. It's my contention that these two words are critical and they're summative in helping us understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, help and yes. So the first word help. I think help reminds us of our dependence on the Spirit. It reminds us that we cannot produce righteousness on our own, that we need the Spirit's help. And so what does help look like? Well, I think it's it's when you're in those moments where, gosh, you know your patience is being tried, or it's when you're in those moments when you find yourself feeling like, I've got no self-control here. I'm about to give in. I don't want to, but I've got no self-control, or it's in those moments when you find yourself in a relationship where someone is hard to love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Or when you find yourself thinking of how to respond to what a co-worker said and like no kind word comes to mind, right? In those moments, uh, when all you want to do is lash out, when all you want to do is slip back over to these habits of the flesh that have been crucified in you, in those moments, I think that a great word to remember is help. When you're in a difficult spot where those old habits and calling your name and the flesh seems easier, we have the opportunity to stop and say Help. Help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. I don't know how to be gentle right now. You know, help. Uh, I I think I'm going to throw my faithfulness away. I have been faithful, but I think it's about to go. Holy Spirit, help. Right? I don't want to do what I'm thinking of doing or or to say what I'm thinking of saying or to act how I'm thinking of acting. You know, help, help, help. Help is a word that reminds us that we are dependent upon the Spirit for change. I think it's a great word, a one-word summary of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. It's being willing to constantly pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you help me? I know you're the one who's going to produce this change in righteousness in me. I need your help. That's the first word I think that's helpful when it comes to understanding what it means to walk with the Spirit. And the second is yes. Yes. So if, if help reminds us of our dependence, yes reminds us of our response. Because I don't know about you, but when I pray prayers for help in difficult moments, I feel what I can't describe as anything but a weighty nudge in my heart to do what the Spirit knows I need to do in those moments. I was, you know, sitting at my dining room table trying to think of what to call it, and it was just like, hey, a weighty nudge. When I ask God for help, God, I, I don't know how to respond in this situation. Could you help? And just a little thing props in that says, hey, this is exactly what you need to do, Tyler. Or Tyler, you don't think you can say that, but you need to say that. Or Tyler, I know this is the last thing you'd love to do right now, but this is the right thing to do in this circumstance, right? It's a weighty nudge. And when I feel those weighty nudges in my heart, and when you feel them in your heart, church, when you hear that quiet voice of the Spirit whisper direction into your life, the only response and the best response is yes, right? So help is followed by yes. Yes, Holy Spirit, I trust you. I trust that you want to produce this good fruit in me. I, I, I trust that you have my best interest in mind over the long term. I trust that you're able to grow this fruit and that this little step now that I could easily dismiss is actually how you're going to grow that fruit. So instead of ignoring it, instead of saying no thank you, and instead of saying maybe next time, I'm going to say yes, yes, Holy Spirit, even though I'm being pulled this way and even though everything in me wants to do this instead, I'm going to say yes, Holy Spirit, to your leading. Help and yes, I think these are the two words that can help remind us of what it means to walk with the Spirit. It's constantly praying help and is continually saying yes, help and yes, help and yes. Are these words you need to add to your spiritual vocabulary? Are these prayers you need to pray with greater frequency this week, if you've felt stuck in change, if you hear a list of righteousness read as opposed to a list of unrighteousness, and you say, sure, I want to be there, but I don't know how, can I suggest to you this morning that Holy Spirit help and Holy Spirit, yes, are great ways to get there. That's how God will transform your life, and he will produce the fruit of righteousness over the long haul. It's something that's promised in this morning's text. Now, you should know this, church. When the wife of Evangelist Billy Graham, uh, her name was Ruth, when Ruth Graham died in 2007, uh, she chose to have her gravestone engraved with words that had like nothing to do with her achievements. So Ruth Graham had been all over the world. Uh, She'd traveled many places with Billy Graham. She'd met many people. uh, But she chose not to have kind of any of that put on her tombstone. She said instead uh she wanted her tombstone to reflect the fact that as long as we are alive uh, god will continually be working on us god will continually be growing fruit In us, and so uh, kind of the story goes that one day Ruth Graham had been driving down the highway, and she came through a construction site, and there were all kinds of signs and detours, and you know, flashing lights and things telling her which way to go. And she finally came to the last sign in this big stretch of construction, and it read "End of construction. Thank you for your patience." And so that's what Ruth Graham chose to have engraved on her tombstone end of construction right thank you for your patience in church my contention this morning and just my humble plea to you all is if we walk by the spirit if we walk with the spirit and continue to pray holy spirit help me and we say yes to the spirit's leading i'm telling you one day we will reach the end of construction in this total fruit that the Spirit wants to produce of righteousness and all its various attributes, love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all those things will be true of us. We will be totally and perfectly like Christ. It's a problem or a problem, a promise of Scripture, and it's what the Spirit wants to produce in us. One day, church, we will reach that final finish line, right? And it will be the end of construction, and the fruit will be ripe. Right. We will be totally mature in Christ, resembling our Savior. But until that day, church, help and yes are our best friends. And as we prepare to leave this space, and even now, I just, I just want to pray that God will continue to grow us and make us the kinds of people that say yes, 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 as the Spirit leads us and allow the Spirit to produce fruit in our lives. So would you join me in that prayer? Oh, Lord, we... Uh, we long for righteousness. We see it as good. You've made it so plain. Paul's right. Uh, The works of the flesh are evident in their destruction, Lord, and righteousness is evident in its goodness, but we get stuck knowing how to get there. Thank you that there is better news. Thank you that we don't have to will our way in to being better folks, Lord, but that you've made it work that you've done for us. Uh, through the Holy Spirit work that you want to do in our lives on our behalf and so Lord we're asking now that you would uh, make us the kind of people that are more ready and willing to pray prayers for help let us have the courage in the moment when we're feeling temptation this week and hereafter to say Holy Spirit I need your help in this moment and then Lord even more so give us the courage to say yes to the way that you nudge our hearts in those circumstances We need it lord and we're thankful that you're the one who's in charge of our transformation because if you're in charge it will happen so help us to be willing participants in your work it's in your powerful name we pray amen